This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, So we're looking at the um, kingdom of God and the gospel of Luke. And uh, in the kingdom of God, things are very different from in the world. Um, I sometimes contrast the kingdom of God to the empire. And uh, in the empire, um, doubts, uh, when we have doubts, um, there's usually two ways that we think about doubt. Either uh, doubt is not allowed, um, and some of your Sunday school teachers might have told you that. Uh, maybe that's one reason you left the church, potentially, is because uh, they shamed you when you asked questions. Um, maybe your pastor did that. So that's one way that... Uh, in the world or in the empire, the, the doubt is treated. Or the other way would be that uh, doubt is like entirely affirmed, and there's no pushback at all. And like, it's great that you're doubting. You know, doubts are fantastic. Go ahead and you know, doubt away. And um, Jesus does neither of these things. And I think this is probably the best passage I know in Scripture about someone who is doubting, uh, very deeply doubting. Uh, a man who was uh, much, much wiser and more well-read than any one of us uh, in theology and Scripture. Uh, who was the very chosen one to be the forerunner, um, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is doubting. And um, 
He is in Herod's prison because he opposed King Herod and uh, he called him out on his sexual sin, on his promiscuity. And so John the Baptist um, <clears throat> has been thrown in prison and is who knows how many months or maybe even years. He's been there and he sends these messengers to Jesus. This is his cousin now. Jesus is his cousin. And in verse 19, it says, uh, the messengers come to Jesus and they say, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And that's pretty incredible that uh, John, who was the forerunner of the Messiah, who was the one uh, who was the very one to say he was to come. He was chosen by God to say the Messiah would come is now saying, is, are you the one to come? Are you the Messiah? Um, or should I give up on you? And uh, if I were talking to John, I would probably be the type that would say, you know, totally get your doubts. Uh, you're in prison after all. Things are not going the way you thought they would be. You're, you're on death row, essentially. And so I would, ju- I would just affirm him, basically, and um, say, you know, I'm, I'm with you here. Uh, God is with you. Uh, whereas other people might say, you know, how can you doubt? Strong Christians don't doubt. Uh, you know, I have never doubted once in my life. Um, you would have those two responses uh, to John. But Jesus, uh, on the one hand, he, he questions the, the doubt gently. Uh, he says in verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So in an indirect, beautiful way, he, he subtly pushes back on the doubt. So he questions the doubt. But then, on the other hand, he thunderously approves of the doubter. And he says to the crowd... Uh, in verse 28, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So don't you judge him because he's the greatest of all. Um, he, he questions the doubt and then he affirms the doubter. So those two things. Uh, first of all, he questions the doubt. And now lest you think that your doubt is ex- extremely intense, whereas John's not so much. Um, in verse 19, he is doubting uh, the entire faith to its core. I mean, when the one who is to come, verse 19, are you the one? That's the Messiah. And so this is the whole enchilada, if you will. He is doubting. uh, If he were alive today, he is doubting the essence of Christianity. And uh, again, this is coming from one who, in verse 27, we read, is the messenger chosen by God to prepare the way. He leapt in his mother's womb when he met Jesus. Um, He baptized Jesus. He called him the Savior. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now, two years later, he's totally confused. Um, Jesus has not rescued him from prison, which he may have expected. Jesus has not attacked the Roman Empire. He has not overthrown the Roman Empire. He has not even recruited the leaders of Israel to attack the Roman Empire. Rather, he has alienated the, the leaders of Israel. And instead of uh, recruiting the best and brightest of the land, he is piddling around up in Galilee, nowhere near Jerusalem. He's up in Galilee just kind of wandering around with uh, sinners and tax collectors and lepers and centurions and widows. You know, we've met some of these people up to this point in the gospel. These are the people that he's got around him. And I'm sure John is thinking, why am I languishing in this prison and those kinds of people are kind of cavorting around Jesus, you know, like having parties with him, having dinner parties with him. How is this happening? Uh, This is not the plan that John expected. And Jesus says to him, again, in a very kind way, he says, John, this was always the plan. This was the plan. And I, I said that at the very, very beginning. 
Because in Luke chapter 4, we saw this several weeks ago, but in Luke chapter 4, in his inaugural address, Jesus speaks to the people of his hometown of Nazareth, and he, he says to the synagogue there, like his, to be his home church, uh, he, he quotes Isaiah 61, and he says, I am bringing the, I am bringing the Jubilee, a ministry of release, a ministry of healing. Um, and he quotes it again in verse 22 here. That's what he tells the messengers to go back and say to John. That's all he tells them. Um, he doesn't add any new information that John didn't know. Uh, he simply refers back to his sermon in Luke chapter 4, where he talked about his jubilee Isaiah 61 uh, ministry of release and forgiveness. The blind receive their sight, John. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Need I say more? That was always the plan. That was the mission of the kingdom. And um, I think what he's saying is, John, you, you are doubting this thing in your mind that you have made up. So what you're doubting is not the real thing. Uh, you're doubting a figment of your imagination that is not the kingdom of God. And I find that to be very, very much the case today when I talk to people who have doubts. Um, a lot of skeptics are doubting something that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It's just not Jesus. Uh, it might be what they see as American uh, evangelicalism, some kind of civil religion, some kind of patriotism uh, sprinkled in with some spirituality, maybe prosperity gospel. But they're not actually doubting the real thing because they don't, they don't know the real thing or they've forgotten the real thing. When I was 21, I was an atheist and I thought that Christianity was about the people that I saw that were Christians who were mostly trying to be very cheerful and say that everything was okay and that they weren't worried and they seemed very confident and self-certain and mostly they were trying to be happy and, uh, and sometimes uh, kind of silly and goofy and I just thought I don't really want anything to do with that. And I think that maybe some of you right now are rejecting something that you don't even fully understand. And I would say that's where John was. He was, he was rejecting a thing that Jesus never really promised. It was not the kingdom of God. It was this other thing, this messianic triumphalism where Jesus would come and take over Rome and make everything better. It was a, it was a gospel of strength, a gospel of winning. And Jesus is like, that's not, that's not the kingdom of God. You thoroughly misunderstand uh, what the kingdom is. It would be like saying, you know, I'm not voting for Bernie because he's so fiscally conservative. Um, and he's going to cut all these government programs. I'm not going to do it. And that's what some people are like who doubt uh, what they think of as Christianity has nothing to do at all with who Jesus is and what he came to teach and what he came to do. And I think he would tell John if he were there, uh, John, being in prison and being uh, in this dark place that you are and being in despair even, he would say, that's not outside of, that's not outside of my kingdom. That's part of the kingdom. That's what it means to be in the kingdom, is to be a person who is filled with weakness because the kingdom is full of confused people and broken people and semi-hopeless people. And I think Jesus would ask us, where did you ever get the idea that uh, no doubt was allowed in my kingdom? Uh, that's what he would say. Like, where did we ever get that crazy idea? One of the great writers of the uh, hymnody in the church is uh, the English writer. He's named uh, Isaac... Um, forgetting his name now. He, um, he wrote a song, uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. 
Um, and uh, he is a brilliant writer. And he actually despaired his whole life. And to the point where he actually committed suicide. And uh, Cooper, that's his last name, Cooper, C-O-W-P-E-R. Beautiful hymn writer. And that's not outside the kingdom of God. Uh, because he did that. And you know, we say, uh, I, I shouldn't be in a church when I'm so full of doubt. Maybe you're saying that right now. Maybe you thought that when you came here. I shouldn't be in church. I have so many doubts. And uh, it'd be like saying I shouldn't be in the hospital uh, when I'm so sick. Because it's the very thing the church is meant to be is a place where doubters come and uh, Christ reaffirms us. He, uh, he, he tells us it's going to be okay. He tells us, remember what my kingdom's about. The poor are having good news preached to them, verse 22. The poor are having good news preached to them. The poor, now the poor are not materially poor, although sometimes that is true. They sometimes can be someone without any wealth or any means financially. But um, I think in this case, when he's talking about the poor, he's talking about people who are desperate for good news. They don't have any good news. And that's like John in prison. He's desperate for hearing good news. And uh, the, the poor are, in verse 29, the tax collectors who are swarming to Jesus to be baptized. That's the poor. The tax collectors actually had a lot of money, but deep inside, they were completely impoverished. And so they're running to Jesus to be cleansed and to be healed with baptism. And and they know they need baptism the way that an alcoholic knows that he or she needs AA. Uh, They know that their lives are totally unmanageable and they're powerless over their addiction. And so they're coming into the kingdom in droves. The kingdom of God is for the poor. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, God chose what is foolish. Not many of you are wise. He chose what is foolish to shame the wise. He chose what is weak to shame the strong. He, he chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. This has always, always been the part of the kingdom. This is this is the people Jesus collected around himself. This is the people that Paul called in Corinth, in Rome, and all the early churches. These are the kinds of people. And Paul takes pride in this. He's not ashamed of this. It's funny that, you know, Austin was saying, and, and it's true, the Christians feel like uh, I shouldn't go to counseling. Like there's some, if I'm going to counseling, then that means something wrong with my marriage. And we kind of whisper. Or if you see someone coming in while you're going out or vice versa, you kind of feel embarrassed. And uh, Paul says, I will boast of things that show my weakness. Like, how can that be? That Christians uh, judge each other for weakness, for being weak. Paul says, I was imprisoned, I was flogged, I was beaten, I was sleepless, hungry, cold, naked, humiliated. I had to be let down in a basket outside of a city. It was so shameful. And in verse 30, it says, the Pharisees and the lawyers... Rejected the purpose of God for their lives because they were not willing to be baptized. And that's, that's the only thing you've got to be careful of is rejecting. Rejecting the kingdom. Rejecting the purpose of God for your life, which is to be broken, to be weak, to say you need help, to come to Christ for help. That's what the, uh, the, these Pharisees and lawyers who are very satisfied with their own goodness are not willing to do. They're not willing to be cleansed. They're not willing to be baptized. So I think we have doubts because we expect the wrong thing. We expect riches. Uh, we expect uh, massive spiritual revivals. We expect victory uh, in America. Victory over Rome is what he would have expected in that prison. We expect close friends. We expect inspiring work. 
Uh, we expect a happy marriage. As Garrison Keeler says about Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. I think that a lot of Christians think that that's what the kingdom of God should bring them. But if your child, you know, um, completely goes off the rails and does something horrible, like you would never expect that. Or if you have a divorce, like that shouldn't happen in the kingdom of God. Or if someone commits suicide, you're like, that, that's not really part of the kingdom of God. You kind of shuffle that off. And Jesus would say, question that. I want you to question that. Because that's not what the kingdom's about. So that's the first point. He questions the doubt. But then the second point, which is so beautiful, is that he powerfully affirms his cousin here in a way that's kind of shocking. As soon as he, as soon as he uh, kind of critiques him by telling him about that passage, remember that passage from, from Isaiah 61, John. Uh, as soon as he does that, the messengers left, verse 24. Right when the messengers leave, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. He kind of wheels on the crowd and, and turns to them. And if I were Jesus, I would have said, now, John, was a, he's a decent guy. Okay, I get that. He's gone a little soft in the head. You know, he's been in prison for a while. But so let's not really listen to what he was saying. Um, it's kind of a dangerous thing for John to be publicly doubting Jesus in front of this entire crowd. That would be a very dangerous thing because John was a weighty source of authority in that day. He was very famous. And here he is questioning Jesus to his very core in front of all of his followers Saying, are you the one who is to come? And uh, if I were Jesus, I would say, I would kind of distance myself from John and make John look kind of foolish. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had uh, your character questioned before in front of other people, but that's not an enjoyable experience. I mean, Jesus is having this very identity question in front of people by his cousin, by the one guy he thought understood him. And that is not a good, that does not feel good at all. I am... you know, I was driving recently with a few friends, and one of them said, are you sure that's the quickest way to get there? And uh, that being questioned, like having my entire character questioned to the core and that way, my driving righteousness, it was, uh, it was devastating. I got very silent, and uh, you know, I, can, I start to boil inside. And here's Jesus' best friend, like just gouging out his identity. Uh, are you the one who was to come? You're not the king I thought you were. Behind the question is an accusation. And you would think Jesus would have ghosted John, so to speak. He would have cut all ties, never talked to him again. But instead, he wheels around on the crowd and he just blasts the haters. You hear this ferocity in uh, his repetition in 24 through 26, uh, where he keeps kind of asking the same question again. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? What did you go to see? What, what did you go out to see? Again and again and again, he's, he's attacking the crowd in case they are thinking that John is somehow below them. Saying, like, what did you go out there to see? You you think he's weak? You think you're better than him? Uh, He's saying, saying, I stand by him 100%. I stand by this doubter who's questioning me at 100%. And he calls him the, uh, the goat, you know, the greatest of all time. Verse 28. Among those born of women, there's none greater than John. He's the Tom Brady, the Michael Jordan of all human beings. He is the greatest who ever lived. Um, you would not think Jesus had ever said that about anybody. I mean, you might not have known that was in the Bible, but Jesus indeed says this guy was the greatest of all time. And he says why. Number uh, verse 24, he's not a reed shaken by the wind. He's brave. He's unflappable in the face of persecution. He's sitting in that prison because he's so righteous. He is not a man dressed in soft clothing. Verse 25, 
He wore camel's hair clothing. He did not live in luxury. He gave up everything. Anyone that you know that has given up anything for the kingdom, John went way beyond that. Verse 26, he's more than a prophet. He is the the most far-seeing human has ever lived. He got it. He understood reality. He is my messenger, verse 27. His entire life is a giant finger pointing to Christ and saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And so he just affirms John to the core. And when you're in the kingdom of God and you doubt and you think Christ is backing away from you, he's actually coming towards you. It's like a freight train coming at you. When you doubt, he just becomes more aggressively intense towards showing you that he loves you. And he affirms you about how beautiful you are, how proud of you he is. I mean, take those words he's speaking about, John, and then apply them to yourself. And you probably are thinking, well, he's never said that about me. I'm not great. And um, I'm a nobody. He probably didn't even know I exist. Probably hates my doubt. But um, but then he, he says in verse 28, he says, no, not at all. He says, any of you, the least of you, Okay, the least of you, whoever that is, in this room, you are greater than John the Baptist. It's like a paradox. How can he be the greatest who ever lived? And then you're, the least of you is greater than him. He's given us this paradox. And the only way that commentators have ever solved this paradox is to say that the reason that John was the least uh, is not because of virtue, uh, not because of his spirituality, not because of any kind of character defect, He was the least in the sense that he knew less about Jesus than any one of you do, or at least that you have access to. That uh, John, uh, no matter how many doubts you have, you know more about Jesus than John did. You know about his grace in a way that John never could. Um, And so John never knew, for instance, that uh, his cousin would go up to each of his disciples who, who are about to totally abandon him. Every one of them just fled when he went to the cross and he's going to wash their feet. I mean, John didn't know that. Uh, John had no idea how gracious he was to doubters. John didn't know that he was defending, that Jesus was defending him in front of these people right after he doubted. John didn't know that Jesus would say to his tormentors, to the people mocking him and putting a spear in his side and hammering nails into his wrists, he he never thought, he could never have imagined that his cousin would say to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't know that about his cousin. You know that about Jesus. He didn't know that that Jesus, risen from the grave, uh, would come to overhear Thomas, one of his twelve that he chose, that he taught for three years, trained. He, he never thought he would hear Thomas doubting Jesus, even after the resurrection. And then he never imagined that Jesus would say, go ahead and go ahead and touch my wounds. Go ahead and put your hands in my side. That he's that gracious to doubters. Doesn't reject you. He asks you to come closer and to know more. And uh, he never could have imagined that Jesus would, would restore Peter to his... Uh, full ministry after Peter three times denied knowing him. And that Jesus would come to Peter and say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know, Lord, that I do. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me? 
and restore him for every one of his doubts three times. John didn't know these things. He was least in the kingdom uh, because you know those things and he didn't know those things. And he certainly didn't know that, that Jesus would offer um, people like Judas, Judas, his betrayer, he offered him the Lord's Supper. Uh, you may not know that, but it says uh, in the Gospels that Jesus gave uh, Judas, he dipped the bread and he, he gave it to Judas and said, this is, this is my body for you too. And so for anyone that uh, might feel like they are the, the least, the greatest doubter among you, um, the one who maybe you feel like you've betrayed him with your doubts, you haven't uh, spent any time with him, you've walked away from the faith, uh, he would say, on the night that I was betrayed, um, I, I took bread for you.